Chapter 6 Now, there was a little, or a bobbin if you prefer, of, well, how should we say this? A bobbin of a peculiar nature. That's how some folks in the district would have put it in an aside, behind the hand, whisper, if you knew them well enough. Especially down in the lowlands area of the gentlelands, where things were much more proper-like. But up in the dry hills, and all the way out to Lost Valley, perhaps not so much, not so formal, things were stranger up there. And those who raised olives among the dry canyons and hillsides there had a tendency to keep to themselves as they as did the small, quiet villages of workers who tended those twisting pastel trees of soft green and washed out white or gray, trees that made the oils which were exported even to the court of the elf king of Indolene himself. They were serious about their work up there and tended to stick to their own business and shut her up quickly, sometimes even before dark. But it was pleasant enough up there, in a sort of hauntingly quiet way. Folks there referred to themselves properly as bobbin, and not the elvish phrasing of littles, nertse, as it would be said in Indarian, or sometimes just the nil, littles. As we were saying, there was one such bobbin of a peculiar nature who lived up in dry hills, and had inherited a modest estate of saltblock olives from his rich uncle Guthbert McCrow, of the wayside McCrows, before the big split in the family, in which the respectables severed ways from, well, the peculiar branch. And it was on this night, when the winds were wild and dark off the coast, that this particularly peculiar bobbin, who'd inherited his estate, was on a late walkabout far from his orchards when he came upon the wounded stranger stumbling up the road with the bundle of the old rock under his arm and the hilt of a broken sword in the other. Tappert McCrow saw the dark-cloaked and hooded figure from afar off making his way along the winding old road up into the hills. Now, it must be said... Most bobbins would have been would have seen such a sight on a windy spring late night like this, particularly one well after midnight and approaching last snack and thus promptly taking themselves off back home for a warm glass of milk and a dozen oatberry cookies to put themselves back to sleep and to forget all the nonsense of dark cloaked strangers stumbling about the lands in the middle of the night. That's what the average bobbin would have done. No doubt about that. I can assure you of this. But as has been said, Tappert was not an average little, or even an average bobbin, for that matter. He was, in fact, quite peculiar for his kind. How peculiar, the reader of this tale might ask me right now? Well, let me explain. Tappert had been, from a very young age, his strange uncle's favorite young bobbin, and thusly rewarded by a sizable and oft 
talked of inheritance. And Tappard, sometimes known as Tap-Tap, or even Tapper among the small band of young friends he maintained, had the very unlittle trait, a nasty one at that, of being curious. So, of course, it wasn't any stretch for young Tappert to one day inherit the modest yet renowned Saltblock Farms of his weird uncle, who'd been known to go off a-wandering at times, and even once or twice for more than a year or so. All this happened not because Tappert was exceptionally good at the raising, pressing, and barreling of oils, but because, like his uncle, Tappert was peculiarly curious. We've used that word a lot so far, curious. And to understand its context, here we have to understand the bobbins. An easy way to say what needs to be said next is just to say it. So here it is. The bobbins, littles really, were a simple lot concerned with just their own daily business, and especially the business of other bobbins, or the greater outside beyond their gentle lands. And very much not so much in the least concerned with the affairs of the world at large, though they would sit and listen to a little bit of gossip near the inn's hearth, or any given night of the week, excuse me, on any given night of the week, or perhaps over a neighbor's fence, if they were about some snack between chores, perhaps even in the morning when the coffee was brewing and it was just bacon. And by and large, they tended to keep to themselves and be busy with the ordinary, everyday business of their simple lives, farm, family, flowers and gardens and such. To them, the fall of Sirith Oseldor ranked just a little bit lower than the news of Goody Tavish's prize peonies and the county fair, of course, this summer. That would be normal little behavior. Nothing peculiar about that. And so it was quite peculiar for Tappert McCrow to be out on such a night as this and going for a long walk, as was his usual, as the nights got less cold and the moon was out. He was what the oldsters in the district would have said, young and restless at that age. And according to them all, all little McCrow needs was a nice bobbin lass, round and nappy, to a settle him down a bet. Yeah, here's me, that's all. And all this peculiarness could be forgiven by the locals if that were the grand extent of it. Late night walks deep into the less populated edges of the district? But such was not the case, for you see, Tappert McCrow, like his grand old weird uncle, loved maps, studying them, making them, finding them, collecting them, covering the walls of his old hill, the one inherited from Uncle Guthbert with them. Maps were Tappert's passion. His study, high in the old abbey tower, around which a great oak had grown up alongside atop the estate inside the hill below, the hill that was the center and life of Saltblock Farms, was filled with maps, desks, walls, chests, great drawers paid good money for in which to keep and lay them out. Maps old Guthbert had acquired in his many 
strange travels, maps young Tappert had acquired in his long walks since. And not just maps, but also bits and pieces of the past, curiosities, relics, and artifacts. From his walkabout tours every summer, as close to the Barrow Valley, which some called the Lost Valley, as he dared. And where there were not maps and curiosities in his grand study, there were books, many of them, in fact. The collection of old, dusty, leather-bound collections of vellum and even papery papyrus lined the walls of his study and could be found often open on every possible surface and space within the small tower, while the latest acquisition was under months-long inspection by Tappert. So... This is what made Tappert peculiar compared to the other bobbins, or littles if you prefer, far and wide about the gentle lands and caused them to roll their eyes or utter something about that McCrow curse that had made that branch of the ancient family daft. For it was the McCrows of long ago who'd gone off to battle in the southern waste to help the elves in their long-ago wars against the Shadow. And it was the respectable branch that was greatly pleased by this history, so they claimed. Elves passing through was one thing. Elves were, of course, always putting on airs, as was their wont, and traipsing about through the district on some mysterious business they preferred not share. But helping elves in wars, no less, this was this was not done in current times. And the Macros' long-ago service, a captain among their ancestors in command of a company of bobbin, spear, and dagger, could be laid as a possible source, or the source, of the curse that had plagued the Macro family for three generations now, as far as anyone was concerned. It was one thing to be polite to an elf passing through, a knight or a lady journeying by with an entourage or retinue, heading south to take a ship, as had been done in the long ago. Perhaps even offer them an apple with from your basket, and never mind the copper, my lady. The elves of Indoline were indeed fine and beautiful people to look at, but they were elves, after all. And elves were deadly peculiar, and, as has been mentioned here in this part, not a favored little, tra little trait. Their magical ways, the elves that is, and always up to intrigue and dark adventures were considered nasty habits. Wars in the south? Why? Wars in the east? Well, wasn't that a bit ago? Times are different now. A lost fleet on the western sea seems a bit irresponsible. And their tombs, the tombs of the old elves, the Eldar, all those grand old barrows laid with many a curse up there in the hills just below the mountains, near the old haunted fortress, or so some said, if they were to be believed, those were dark matters best not paid mind to for proper light peoples as the littles considered themselves to be. So every little purposed in their heart to have as little as possible to do with the elves or strangers beyond the required pleasantries of civilized persons encountering one another out and about, of course. This was how it was done. But such were never the ways of crazy old Guthbert McCrow as he had once been known, and still was in whisper and rumor 
and cautionary lesson. And it certainly was how Tappert seemed to be turning out if things continued the way they were going, with these long summer hikes higher into the hills and, of course, these late-night walkabouts. And this was the greatest charge laid against him by the Littles down along the coast. He didn't manage his groves in the least. Left it all up to old Ned Tom to the saying. And, of course, there was them queer maps. Always coming in special packages, creamy big envelopes. Straight from the sages and collectors of Indoline itself. Inked in gold, said Postman Symes when he stopped by your front post and had a cup of tea and perhaps a little bit of freshly baked lemon rosemary seed cake. Remember when I told you littles aren't much interested in others' business? Well, that's just a lie they live. Inherently, all littles are madly interested in news, tales, and talk. But long ago, they convinced themselves they shouldn't be, and so, formally, they aren't. Now, gossip on the quiet, a whisper behind the hand, out by the post on a hot afternoon between chores. Well, that's a tasty treat just as well savored as that slice of dark sugar pecan pie. No harm in that. No one get a fine letter like that from Indeline, Symes would tell one and all, who'd listen each time a package came from Indeline for Salt Block Farms. No one at all! So, there on the late night, on the verge of turning toward the witch hours, was a small bobbin about on the twisting roads deep in the district with his walking stick in hand, wrapped up in his tweed walking coat. When he did indeed see the stumbling stranger making his way up the old road toward the high hills. At first, he thought it might be one of those elven fortune hunters down, lurking around the barrows and having gotten into a spot of trouble the outcasts. And because Tappert was curious to see what the matter was, he waited under the old lantern atop Smote Hill, which was one of those smaller hills before you reached the fork in the road that either led off toward the Barrow Valley or up into Dry Hills proper and the vast olive farms and fine old homes that lay along the ancient cobblestone wall and road that was as old as time itself, or so the oldsters say. Tappert was a keen observer. Had to be if one were to be a collector, was what old Guthbert had always tried to teach him, and he was. As his granduncle had been, and as most McCrows were, for no reason they could ever define. So, even now, as he watched the stranger from under the lantern atop Old Smote Hill, he could see other bands of shadowy figures moving about down in the hollows, and even the occasional green fire torch coming to life this way and that. And even though the wind had been up a while ago, he'd been sure he'd heard hunting horns like none other he'd ever heard in the night. Now that's a mite strange, murmured Tapper as he watched and waited for the elf to climb the hill. He was assuming it was an elf. And then perhaps, once that happened... They might have a nice conversation, as elves didn't mind the dark and the late, and he'd had other conversations with some of them on late nights just like this. Tappert enjoyed spending a chat with elves when they were willing to, and the ones that came for the treasures of the barrows were more than likely to talk and want talk. 
In time the elf arrived, and it was clear again, because Tappard was a keen observer, that the stranger was indeed wounded or feeling ill, and was not an elf at all, but a man. Which was stranger still, men were rare. Mostly, all one ever saw of them were rumors and much-coveted little gossip out by the post. I say, announced Tappert, for it was clear the elf, who was not an elf but a man, was not aware of Tappert's presence as he made the top of Smote Hill. You seem to be having a bit of his rough struggle. The stranger stopped, swaying a bit, casting his gaze quickly over his shoulder and down into the hollows where the strange bands of dark figures had been roving about as though searching for something or someone. Two things occurred to Tappert, who had been stated, who has been stated, was a bit of a keen observer, a constant watcher, a collector, as it were. One, the man was holding a broken sword. Two, the bundle under the arm of the stranger was smoking. Gray wisps drifted from its fastness. Curling and delicate, they climbed off into the night and drifted, deliberating it se- deliberately, it seemed, off toward the hollows, drifting away and leaving a smell like... Like Tappert would think later, burnt charcoal on the breeze. A not unpleasant smell, but very curious in that it was coming from inside an old and worn traveling pack where one usually did not keep fire. So, of course, both were of interest to the peculiar bobbin. May I be of assistance? asked Tabard. All littles are always first kind. The stranger muttering came to himself at seeing the little under the lantern's light atop the rise he'd come up with no little difficulty. There was a trail of blood droplets dark in the night behind him. Who might you be, little one? asked the stranger tiredly. Tabbert planted his walking stick, stuck out his small hand, and announced his name. Allow me to introduce myself, stranger. Tabbert Junctilius McCrow of the Wayside McCrows. A long moment passed as the stranger continued to sway in his boots. Blood began to drip down onto the dirt of the road as he stood there, as though seeming to decide what to do next. This also was not lost on Tappert. Most just call me Tappert, he continued friendly enough in the ensuing silence. A few friends I'll have over in Ladybridge call me Tap-Tap, but they are, the bobbin coughed, rascals, but friends nonetheless. Ah, said the stranger, clearing his throat. His voice was odd, noted the bobbin. Most elves had high, almost musical-sounding voices, or like trumpets, especially if they were knights of a noble family. But this one sounded like a highwoman or a drover. He had seldom talked with men, as men were not given to talk. And began the man, Are you a relation of old Guthbert McCrow? He coughed at the last. Tapper was surprised and seemed to lean back at this. Oh, I am indeed, he exclaimed. He was my good old granduncle from way back, gone now these five years. The stranger looked over his shoulder and down into the vast zigzag of hollows he'd just climbed out of. They're coming, 
he seemed to mutter to himself. But Tappert caught this all the same. The Bobbin stepped closer, peering down into the darkness and trying to see what the stranger saw. Though Bobbin eyes are good, they are not elf good. Still, he tried. The shadows were gone now. Old Guthbert was known as storytellers. We called on him in times of trouble, rumbled the stranger. Tappert did not know this. In fact, this struck him as a very fantastic thing, and yet one more interesting curiosity about his unbelievable uncle that was totally believable. He was still discovering secret rooms and passages and small curious treasures laid up throughout the estate at Salt Block Farms. And, as Tappert's quick little mind worked, the explanation of many mysteries he had often wondered about unlocked a little, like some small number of tumblers in a difficult lock. I'll say, Tappert whispered to himself in the night as a few mysteries fell into place. The stranger stood silently as Tappert did the same, his mind roving over old memories. I am badly wounded, began the stranger and coughed a bit. Waylaid back there along the roads. In a fight? Mouthed, Bobbin, mouthed the bobbin incredulously. Such things were unheard of here in the district, mostly. Dreamt of, maybe, as one dreams of adventures. But, of course, bobbins don't do adventures. That, of course, is well-known. And a wanderin' is nothing to be proud of. But there had been stories of dark figures on the roads of late. Tappert had heard such talk. Set upon by dark forces from the south, emissaries of the Doom Gate. A small gasp escaped the bobbin's mouth, and Tappert felt himself tighten his grip on his old walking stick. I would not presume on any of your fine folk, unless the needs were dire, continued the stranger, weaving slightly. But I must ask for help now. I need to get off the road this night. Perhaps a hiding place, finished Tappert expectantly, and knew not why he did so. The stranger grunted a bit as he took his hand away from his wound, then a soft, almost quiet, yes. And without discussion or questions, or even a nod to the worries that brought such evil mentioned as the doom gate and dark forces... Tappert was hustling the stranger along the road to Dry Hills, and the old abbey that was his home atop the hill. Not just because he was a good bobbin, though a peculiar bobbin, who would render aid to a strange traveler in trouble on the road, but because this smelled like an adventure to him, and he had the feeling he was being caught up in something he'd been looking for in all those maps he loved so much.